When one has a strong testimony and has had real influence for the Lord, it, it brings a great opportunity to have impact. I had the privilege for several years of being on the board of Russian Gospel Ministries. Uh, Georgie Vins was the founder of that ministry. He was a prisoner in communist uh, Soviet Union for a number of years in Siberia, has a number of books out. You ought to read those. It's really amazing how God took care of him in, in prison. And uh, miraculously, uh, during the late 70s, he was released and sent to America. And instead of just enjoying being in America, he began a ministry to uh, meet the needs of the suffering Christians all over the Soviet Union. And so for a number of years, I had the privilege of serving with him. And I remember on several occasions, I had the joy of going to the Soviet Union once during the, fact, during the time it was the Soviet Union as we knew it, and then after freedom had come. And in those occasions, uh, I represented George Events. Though they did not know me, some did, but very few knew me, I was treated royally <laughs> because of the deep respect and appreciation for the life, testimony, the suffering of George events. And uh, that kind of impact is an amazing thing. And God wants us, by his grace, to have impact on others. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 18 as we continue our study of this wonderful book. It fits wonderfully in talking about the Passover. We, t we went over that a few months ago as we looked at the <clears throat> wonderful deliverance from Egypt. But in our last session together, in chapter 17, we saw one of the relatives of uh, Israel come up to fight the children of Israel, the Amalekites, descendants of Esau. And uh, God delivered mightily. Many lessons could be learned. Uh, the Israelites had just been again delivered as they got panicky and lost their faith, even with the fact that God was giving them manna and everything else, and the presence of God was there. Uh, they didn't have water. They became panicked, and God brought water out of the rock. They're getting close to Mount Sinai, which would be the time in which God would form the nation. But they saw a very um, amazing testimony again of God's power by the fact that when Moses had his hands up at the top of the hill, signifying his trust in the Lord, Joshua and the untrained army of Israel uh, triumphed over these fierce nomadic people that knew how to fight. When his hands went down, they began to lose. And so Aaron and Hur, of course, we know how they held up his hands and there was a great victory. Well, in chapter 18, we have another relative, a representative of the relatives of Israel, but this time they came to, uh, to seek knowledge and acknowledged about Israel, and this is the Midianites, both coming from Abraham, both Esau and, and uh, through the line of, uh, of Isaac, and then the Midianites uh, from Abraham himself. And so you have a, a, a very different scenario, and this is positioned between the deliverance there as they've come down now to the area of Rephaim, and uh, 
the, the valley there, and they're getting close to Sinai. They have the confrontation with the Amalekites, and now they're going to have uh, the priest of Midian, Jethro, come and meet uh, them, meet Moses in particular. And this is before the giving of the law and the formation of Israel into a nation. And so I'm going to go quickly through these verses and make comments on them and just draw out some points that I think are, are very helpful. So let's uh, uh, begin by looking at the power, power of a godly testimony, the testimony of Israel and Moses himself. Verse 1, Then Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. If you were in the session the, 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 we just had there in the fellowship hall, uh, Brother Rotman made it very clear the enormous power of the dynasty of Egypt. It was greater than we can imagine. There's no force that's been in modern day. Maybe the United States would come close at its height. But this was the power of the ancient world. And for Israel to have, by God, had Egypt ruined, decimated, and their army destroyed, that made news. Believe me, that affected the entire ancient world. So he heard about that. Let's go on, verse 2. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. And her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. Yet, of course, Gershom was born in this very wilderness that they're in right now. That's where Moses had been for 40 years. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for the God of my father said he was mine help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his son and his wife unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at the mount of God. And he said unto Moses, I thy father-in-law Jethro am coming to thee and thy wife and her two sons with thee. Now it's very interesting. I believe you see here the Moses' protection of his family. Uh, he sent her back. Uh, and uh, we find that here And even though she, of course, reacted, you remember when they were heading to Egypt, he and uh, his children were heading to Egypt to deliver Egypt under the Lord's direction, he and Aaron, uh, he had not circumcised his son, and so we don't know exactly what happened there, but God made it very clear how important circumcision was, and and uh, we read in Exodus 4.26, so he let him go. Uh, talking about the angel of the Lord, then shed see, she said, excuse me, a bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. She did not run away from Moses at this point. He, looking, I believe, at all of the different situations, the pressure of getting down into Egypt, and her maybe lack of full understanding of everything, thought it best to have her, at least for the first part, and the sons not be there. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But there probably was protection here. Now, I want us also to see Israel's testimony caused the return of his family. Back in verse 1, he heard of all that God had done for Moses. Now, Jethro, 
probably had a good idea of the God of Abraham coming from that line. But you're talking centuries now. And the Midianites did not worship Jehovah uh, in the right way. And uh, they're definitely, uh, he was a priest and uh, who knows exactly what the worship was. But it was probably a combination of worship of Jehovah, understanding that background. And, uh, and of course with Moses, who knows the impact while he was with him for, for those 40 years, all of this is supposition. Uh, but he comes and this testimony of the power of God in Egypt, uh, in Egypt and the deliverance of Israel and Moses' leadership, he knew what, how Moses had just been, frankly, humbled there in the wilderness after he had been the, in line of succession to be the next Pharaoh. Uh, Jethro is amazed at what God had done. And so he comes to bring back his family, feeling that this is the right time and he comes really to seek the truth about the God that had delivered Moses. You know, folks, our lives ought to be so clearly delivered that people ought to want to know what happened to you. You know, uh, and there is a great draw many times. And the love of Christ is in our life. And I believe that there was a draw. He had heard all that God had done. I like in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, that new church, they had become followers of Paul and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that, Paul saying, ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. I mean, people were touched and people were just amazed. These idol worshipers were now worshipers of the true God and their lives uh, had been totally tr transformed. And so God is able to spread the news. Um, one writer, this is, goes years back, uh, worked on the staff of a large newspaper, and he was required to, to check with people that had placed ads in the want ad columns and to find out how it went in selling their goods. And so what they would do is that they would then uh, give interest stories of all of these different people that got what they wanted through their ads. Well, the whole purpose was to advertise their advertising. <laughs> and uh, success is a very amazing uh, uh, and compelling uh, way to get people to acknowledge. And folks, that's why there's a lot of reasons why we need to have victory in our lives, certainly for the, mainly for the glory of God, but so that His glory can be seen. You know, we look at wanting victory because we don't like defeat. But that many times can be selfish. We need to want victory for God to be glorified in the eyes of all of those around us. I'm telling you, when you're living in victory and you're excited about what God is doing and you're willing to talk about it and your life is consistent with the victory that you're talking about, it's a powerful way to draw people uh, to the Lord. And... Then Moses' witness uh, brings his family to faith. Look at me, with me at verse 7. And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and did obeisance and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. 
And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord. Now I want you to notice every time you see L-O-R-D in caps, what does that mean? It is the word Yahweh or Jehovah as we will say it. It is the covenant name of God with Israel. And so Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, blessed be Jehovah. He's declaring the reality of Jehovah God. Now he knew this down deep because of the background of the Midianites. And and hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptian, and out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. This is Jehovah God. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. What a statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's one God. I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, speaking of Egypt, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices. Remember, the sacrificial system had not yet been set up. That was going to come fairly quickly there on Mount Sinai as, as God would give the law. Aaron was not the high priest at this point. And so he gives a sacrifice proving his devotion to now Jehovah God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so you find a great witness. You remember when Naaman was healed of leprosy. Now I know who is the real God. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful statement. And it's also very interesting here that I think part and parcel of this accepting the testimony of Moses uh, was uh, the, uh, the fact that there was this fellowship together. I would suppose Jethro wasn't the happiest, first of all, when Moses just left him. Uh, secondly, uh, when he sent his wife back to Jethro. Uh, I wouldn't doubt there's a little bit of strain in this whole thing. But then he hears of the greatness of God and Moses witnesses that it is Jehovah God and Jethro comes to faith. Wherever he was before, I don't know, but he comes to faith in Jehovah God here and he sees the heart of uh, the reality of what God had done and the humility of Moses in having a relationship and both of them, I believe, were restored at this point. And so it's, it's a wonderful aspect where he embraces Jehovah over idolatry. And then one more thing I want to show here is the fact in the latter part of this uh, wonderful account, you have the wisdom here of a humble attitude. Here comes this man who may not have even been a believer before, a man that Moses certainly respected uh, and it was his father-in-law. And Moses now is the leader of two million people. I mean, he has a position. This is amazing. He has a rod that has done mighty miracles. And now he's going to take advice from this man. A lot to be learned here. I'm just going to touch on it. Uh, we read uh, in verse 13, 
And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood by Moses from the morning unto the evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, he said, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning unto evening? Now remember, you hadn't had the priesthood, the Levitical uh, uh, teaching uh, and all the things that were supposed to be set up, none of that was happening. Everything was resting on the leadership of Moses at this point. And Moses said unto his father-in-law, because the people come unto me to inquire of God. When they have a matter, they come unto me, and I judge between one and another, and I do make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Remember, God says about Moses, there was no man like this that spoke face to face with the Lord. I mean, he knew the Lord. He went to the tent of meeting. Uh, he, he knew the heart of God. And uh, this was prior to, again, spending all that time on Mount Sinai. It shows you how, this, how Moses had, had truly understood his need to know truth and God had revealed uh, much to him. And so they wanted to know what God thought. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. Thou wilt surely wear away both thou and this people that is with thee. For this thing is too heavy for thee. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. Hearken now unto my voice. I will give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to Godward, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way therein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Now he gives them good instruction here. You need to really teach these people the truth. And they need to have it in them. Uh, this needs to, there needs to be a program of teaching truth. And of course, that would uh, definitely be coming. And then he says uh, in verse 21, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place over place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter these different judges shall judge. So it shall be easier for thyself and they shall bear the burden with thee. And if thou do, shalt do this thing and God command thee so, in other words, he says, let, you know, God needs to lead you in this. Then sh thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people shall go to their place in peace. Now, uh, this again is very interesting to me uh, that uh, he allowed his father-in-law to confront him, the man who is God's chosen leader, with the problem. And uh, folks, we can never grow until we're willing to know where our needs are. And that's why discipleship is important. Leadership is important. This is why young people, you need to not run from correction. You need to, to say, I need, I need to know. We all, we all don't know our hearts like we think we do. And I tell you, when God allows folks to be able to expose or through preaching or through other circumstances to expose that, oh, wow, we... There's areas we need to grow. We ought not pull back or cover for that, but let God do his work. That was one of the great 
attributes of Moses, for God says about him in Numbers chapter 12 that Moses is the meekest man that walked on the earth. And uh, that's why God could use him. You can never lead if you're not willing to be led. And so it's, uh, I think, a, just a wonderful thing. Even Peter, we read in Acts chapter 2, uh, or Galatians chapter 2, verse 11, but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, Paul says, because he was to be blamed. Here's Peter that preached Pentecost. Peter that had been with the disciples and here... Uh, Paul comes to him and confronts him about this matter of the Judaizers and was very, really strong about it. And I love what Peter said at the end of his life, 2 Peter 3.15, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Isn't that neat? He took it. He wasn't the same Peter that we read of in the Gospels. He had the Spirit of God continually developing him. He didn't go with the Judaizers. I'm sure he thanked Paul over and over for, for really helping him and keeping his testimony strong so that he could be the influence that he ought to be. And so Moses was willing not only to be confronted with the problem, I mean, two million people and to be the only judge, I mean, that's just not going to work. That was going to wear him away. And especially that bunch of folks. Uh, well, of course, this bunch of folks would be probably just as bad. But anyway, hopefully we would have more maturity because of how God has enabled us. But uh, it was really something. And he was counseled then after the problem was confronted and given a solution. And um, that's exactly... Uh, um, you know, that's exactly what happens here. Jethro thinks very quickly, and he obviously conditions this upon the Lord's leadership, but he said, I, I believe this would be a good idea to have these different levels of leadership. Now, did they already have divisions of organization within uh, the Israelites? Yeah, they were called the tribes. The 12, actually it was 13, uh, that uh, functioned there. And... Uh, if you were to look at the camp of Israel, two million plus, you'd have the, uh, the tent of meeting in the middle and, and then you'd have the tribes all in the different uh, places that they were. It was, it's amazing. You know, I like to look at some of these illustrations that are given. It's just an amazing thing to see the organization that was there. They already had that, but he wasn't utilizing because he knew the weakness of those elders. But God was working and of course, choose, choose those that you can trust. And, uh, and so uh, he was willing to be confronted, he was willing to be counseled, and then humbly he was willing to, be, to correct the problem. And, uh, and so we read in verse 24, so Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Amazing. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons. The hard causes they brought unto Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. And so he took the counsel. Now, by the way, just in the matter of leadership, whenever you delegate, you're always going to risk some things. You did have a couple of uh, Nadab and Abihu and a few folks like that. But that was going to happen anyway. And, uh, and this was uh, uh, good advice. 
And so uh, we see here one of the secrets of Moses being used of the Lord. And uh, let me just conclude here. Folks, how much are we willing to grow and to be led? We know the verse Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. And 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. And so this is a wonderful example, really, of how uh, God would like things to work. Jethro is brought to faith in Jehovah God by the testimony of Moses and the people of God, the powerful testimony. And Moses was willing to witness and to be very clear with Jethro about uh, who God is and, and all that was involved. And Jethro acknowledged that Jehovah is God. And then this one that was touched by Moses, God uses to be a help to Moses, I think this was a real test, frankly, of Moses' humility here at this point, and he was able to be helped and showed his humility. Isn't that the beauty of a local church? We're all growing together. You know, one of the things that's exciting is you lead somebody to Christ and disciple them, and then a little bit later, the person you discipled, their gifting starts ministering to you. I love that. I love that. I love now. Uh, how challenged and blessed I am by graduates of our college and graduates of our academy and, and young people and adults that have been out of our church that we've invested in. And now they become a challenge and they are able uh, to uh, stir us because of their faith in God. And, and that's the way it should work. We're all in this together and we should be wanting more than anything for people to be fully um, engaged in a relationship with the Lord and effective in the ministry. So this I quickly went through, but it's a wonderful chapter here. <clears throat> it's sort of hidden in the account in Exodus. It's not just talking about the wife and two children coming back and staying with Moses, but it's a much greater thing of how God, I think, showed kindness also to Abraham and touching some of the Midianites by bringing them to faith. And they, they listen to the Lord. So some wonderful truth. And may God help us to have that kind of attitude. Let's